0: Hello, and welcome to the Vote Her Podcast, because when you vote, great things can happen. Hi, I'm Mara Davis, and welcome to the 50th episode of the Vote Her Podcast. I can't even believe it.
1: Oh my gosh, I can't either. And this is Jen Jordan, and I am just happy to be here, let me tell you.
0: You've been all over the place. I mean, you have been so busy. You have been in session. You have been sort of campaigning. I can't even believe, by the way, I am uh, I just... The fact that it's our 50th episode, that this was a pandemic experiment, and here we are. You're still talking to me. Look, it's it's like become
1: kind of one of the normalizing things in my life. I mean, you know, it, it was,
0: you know, my assistant was like, oh,
1: do you want to do this this week? And I was like, yes. I love
0: it. Yes. I love it. I love it. Because remember, it, we went from 50 episodes ago to Jen's house. Jen was basically in her pajamas. Well, everybody was back. Then. OK, we all were. I remember the first time I, I went over to your house. I was like, I got all dressed up that day. I don't do that anymore. <laughs> and we were so I was so nervous. We didn't know how the equipment worked. It was just I mean, it's been a journey. We've come a long way. Yeah. I mean,
1: you know, the, the first episode we did, this is the first time we ever met in person. So it has been uh, quite a journey, but a fun one.
0: A a fun one, and no doubt about it, the best part of uh, the pandemic. Absolutely. A learning experience and a lifelong friend. Yes, yes. Thank you for agreeing. I'm happy to hear that. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Let's talk about session. A lot of things have been discussed uh, at the Gold Dome. You've been very busy. So tell me the good, bad, and the ugly. Where should we start? Yeah, so this past week we
1: had something called crossover day and for folks who don't pay attention or or don't really know kind of the the inside baseball with respect to the capitol crossover day is when any bill that is going to be able to make it out you know of session has to have crossed over from one house to the other Um, meaning that if if it's a senate bill the senate needs to have voted on it And send it over to the House. If it's a House bill, the House needs to have voted on it, send it over to the Senate. So it's an incredibly busy day because it really is kind of like, you know, the deadline, because if you don't make it over, then officially, I mean, there are definitely ways to do it, but officially your
0: legislation is dead, you know, for for session. And you don't come back into session again until when? January. January, Thank right. Thank God. I have
1: to tell y'all, this has been a crazy year, in part because of the primary politics of the Republicans, so it's almost like there was this checklist that they were going down. It's like, okay, well, my consultant told me, you know, you need to do this, 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 and this, and it was as if they, they just followed that, and, you know, prohibiting critical race theory even though it doesn't exist in Georgia. You know, going after transgender children, abortion of course again and and women because that's what they love to do, making sure everybody has a gun and at the same time making sure that people can't vote.
0: Right. So it is what you're saying that a lot of these bills that are there are just to, so they can have their campaign ad going like I fought against
1: this listen i and i'm not going to name the the republican statewide candidate but i literally played his ad and i was like okay well there you go that is what is going to come out of the state senate and it almost like you know book and verse and and it really is just about so they can say it on the campaign trail. This is all being motivated by primary politics.
0: Well, then we had the qualifying day, which was crazy. Like everybody was there, uh, cameras. Uh, Kemp gave his speech. You had uh, Stacey Abrams going down there. You had everybody. I mean, a lot of pomp and circumstance with the qualifying. This twenty twenty two election is a, a very very buzzworthy. Well, it was
1: interesting for me. I just sat there. You know, there's some (laughs) there's some chairs around kind of the the Uh rotunda of the Capitol. And I just sat there and watched a lot of young people coming up and qualifying for these various seats. And it's exciting. Look, they're I mean, they're just buzzing with excitement. And it it was one of those things where it's like you kind of I mean, it's contagious. It makes you say, you know, golly, you know, I, I need to stop being so cynical about things that You know, there are really good, young, smart people who are who are really wanting to do good things here.
0: Did it feel different qualifying as running for attorney general than running for state senator? Is it all the same? Well, it costs a lot more. Okay, Uh,
1: (laughs) so that felt a lot different. All
0: right. Um, I will tell
1: you it was a little bittersweet for me because qualifying for attorney general means that I am not going to be you know, the senator from the 6th next year. And I've become very, I don't know, it's almost protective of my district and, and the people I represent. And so there really is a little bit of a sadness there because it's it's been such a a growth period for me and kind of transformative in a lot of ways, good and bad, right? And so now leaving that,
0: you know, it is, it's a little bittersweet. Wow. Well, you're on to bigger and better things when you're the next Attorney General of Georgia. You've got some competition, though. I mean, now you've got, you're running against Chris Carr, but he's got another opponent. Yeah. Well, what's interesting is
1: that with respect to the guy that's running against Carr, who qualified on the last day, almost like at the last minute, his name is John Gordon. And he actually ran for my state Senate district seat in 2018 but got beat by Leah Aldridge in the Republican primary. Okay. So, um I know a little bit about John and it's <laughs> it's going to be an interesting race and he's been one of those guys that's been pushing these Trump election lawsuits. And so You know, this the word on the ground is, is that he is likely to get Trump's endorsement.
0: So that's an interesting pivot, because there's been so much talk about is the Trump endorsement a kiss or a kiss of death? Uh, Or maybe is David Perdue campaign, like like a like a trial run for some of the others, because the Trump pick candidates aren't doing great everywhere. Like you've got Mo Brooks in um, Alabama, who's who's kind of bungling a little bit. Um, what what does it matter? I mean, you know, you think about it. It's like without Trump's Twitter feed, it's when he just puts out those press releases. It just doesn't get the same amount of play. Does it matter?
1: Well, it can. And and look, when I think about this and talk to people about Trump and Trump in Georgia, one of the biggest things I say is that it it's not everything. Right? It's like a plus one. It's just it gives you a little bit of a it boost. You, it okay. Gives you a little bit of a boost. You still have to be a candidate that can raise money. You still have to be a candidate that can put together a statewide campaign and, you know, be able to get out there and do some retail politicking. So it's one of those things where if you have a baseline candidate that can do all of that and then they get Trump's endorsement, then that's the thing that puts them over the top. But if you just have some, you know, doofus that... (laughs) You know, couldn't run for dog catcher, but Trump
0: backs him. That guy's not going to win. Well, interesting. You mentioned doofus and dog in the same sentence, because <laughs> that takes me to Herschel Walker.
1: Oh, that's sad.
0: But this is very it. Now, he said some crazy things.
2: Here, that means somebody up there had to say, let there be light that the earth started. And then he had to put someone there on earth. remember Adam was there. Remember, Adam came there, then Eve came. So somebody had to start it out. So that means it had to be a God. Because it didn't just, uh, some bomb blew up and it started out. And then I, I tell you something else I heard. And I think about this because at one time, science said man came from apes. Did it not? I've read that. Every, every time I read or hear that, I think to myself, you just didn't read the same Bible I did. Well, what, this was what's interesting though. If that is true, why are there still apes? Think about it. You know, now you're getting too smart for us. No, 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 no. Think about this. We have an evolution that is we've gotten so intelligent that if that is true, why are there still apes? And then the conception of a baby. Let me tell you, science can't do that. They're still trying to do it, but it can't because there had to be a God. So when God came and said, now, let me create.
0: But I, I read an editorial from Essie Cup from CNN, who's a conservative commentator, and I'm, I'm a pretty big fan of hers. And she wrote this piece in the New York Daily News about how like him saying these outrageous things are actually kind of helping him where everybody's saying, oh, my God, oh, my God, how how is this happening? It's part of the the pure brilliance of it. What do you make of that? No, I don't think so.
1: I don't I don't think that. They are um, planting these things. You know, I think Herschel is just doing it. And then, but I think the the unintended part of that and and where the brilliance does come in, albeit not intentional, is that those are the things that are getting picked up in the news. And so then he's he's the one that they talk about all the time. Right. And now, granted, it's in some form of, you know, you can you believe he said this, but if you think about Trump voters and and more of your conservative voters, your hardcore conservatives um, that are going to show up for that primary in Georgia, they don't trust the news anyway. Right. So they're going to be thinking that folks or these newscasters or these shows are trying to paint Herschel in a negative light, you know, so it just kind of, it amplifies, you know, him kind of all around. And at the same time, kind of reinforces this us against right the mainstream
0: media you know right well and his opponents are latham sadler kelvin king gary black these people that are running against him are now all complaining they're starting to to pipe up and say this isn't fair we're not you know this guy's getting all the coverage well the deal is at the end of the day and you know this
1: this is the news industry is a business as well. Of course. I mean, they, there is a baseline of coverage they do. But then in terms of what else they put out there, I mean, clicks matter. I mean, eyeballs matter because that means money, which means you can keep the lights on. You can pay your journalists. And so, yeah, if you're not getting covered in the way you want to get covered, it's probably because when they put up a headline about you, nobody's clicking on it.
0: Right. So that's a very interesting race. I've already seen Warnock with a lot of ads on television. They're, they're going full force. They're, they're pretty, you know, they're pretty milk toasty. They're, they're not, you know, it's not the the dog, the puppy ad. Maybe that's saving it for later is, is, are his ads you think are I'm just reminding you who I am and what I've done.
1: Yeah. And I think, or telling people what he's done. I mean, Look, at the end of the day, uh, Warnock and Ossoff have done an incredible job and have delivered mightily for the state of Georgia. So, yeah, he needs to be crowing about that. He needs to be talking about the money that he's been able to get here, the grants, the relief, whatever it is. I mean, even pushing at the federal level the suspension of the gas tax, Warnock's doing that, right? Right. right. He needs to be talking about that because people need to understand that they just
0: put that guy in office and he's already been able to do all of that. And with the gas tax, that's something that you've, uh, all of, everybody seem to agree on that, that we don't want to have that. Obviously, with what's going on in Ukraine is devastating. I mean, we don't even have enough time to go into that because it's just, it's... It's horrific. It's a lot to handle and all the propaganda that goes with it. And as far as most Americans are okay with paying for more for gas based on what's happened but obviously we still have inflation and we still have high gas prices which really does trickle down and frustrates people but you did something big at the state house you all voted on a Yeah, we did it at the
1: state level. So 29 cents per gallon is the Georgia gas tax and it's, I think it's 31 or 32 cents uh, per gallon for diesel. So the whole idea is if you suspend the gas tax, then that should automatically take approximately 30 cents off each gallon. The problem is, is that even in the legislation we passed, um, which is what I question the sponsor on, it doesn't say anything about, you know, the manufacturers, the distributors, whatever, has to make sure that that gets passed on to the consumer. Uh So you can have a producer... Right. Who's like, well, you know, I'm I'm going to retain this and, you know, reinvest it into, you know, my business and, and, and not pass it on to the consumers. So there's nothing that says they have to do that. But um, but hopefully. You know, fingers crossed, especially with so many people watching, they will do what they're supposed to do.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's really what's going to be so interesting leading into 2022 is is inflation, the economy, gas prices, because there's all these ridiculous social issues that they that are like getting clicks, as we were just talking well, about well, and
1: confusing
0: people. It's yeah.
1: like trying to act like inflation is some kind of like there's a straight line. I mean, the reason that that inflation is high is because it is so complex and nuanced in terms of economic decisions, supply chain, COVID, Ukraine, right? All of the above. China, China, all of it. And so it's one of those things where just to say, oh, inflation's high because of Joe Biden. No, that I mean, that is not what is happening here. It, it really is kind of a cast off. Or, or kind of part of all of the, the complicated things that have kind of rolled out of COVID. And I don't think that it, it is a permanent situation. I think we're going to pull out of it. But man, in, in, in near times, you know, Republicans are going oh, right. to yeah.
0: beat us over the head. Of course they are, because it's, it's a
1: winning message, right? No, but, but this is what I don't get, especially living in a state like Georgia, where you have Republicans in control up and down. So it's like they try to take credit, but also beat Democrats over the head. So the economy is amazing. Unemployment's the lowest. The economy is awful. Inflation. Democrats are awful. I'm like, <laughs> yes. how, how can right. you do it? How can it be, a you know, a shield and a sword at the same time? I mean, if you're the governor of the state,
0: man, you got to own some stuff. Well, he's certainly quite popular. I mean, people seem to be pretty psyched um, about him. hello he has been giving out
1: money like yeah. candy I mean that's also what's interesting <laughs> yes. it's like Joe Biden and the federal government they're <laughs> awful but we'll take their billion dollars and give it all to everybody in Georgia and say yes you can thank the, the Republicans for that
0: including the gas tax stuff. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's, it's well, Democrats need to get better with that messaging as we get into the uh, elections. I'll tell you what, I mean, because this is, you know, I think they're going to get off all the school choice, critical race theory, like all these things, banning books, all these social issues that are just so polarizing and ridiculous. But at the end of the day, it's that kitchen table. It feels so small after Ukraine, It is
1: right. Yes, After Ukraine, I'm like, what are we doing?
0: Yeah, it, it, it's it especially is it, it's like, oh, my gosh, do you have a bed to sleep in tonight? Do you have your kitchen table that you're actually sitting at and you're not worried about a bomb hitting your home? I mean, I am worried about like, what's the next thing? Because you have to worry with this. It's like, OK, uh, hacking. That's one thing I'm worried about is like all the you think about, like, well, the infrastructure, the grid, yes, the electrical grid. Exactly. Right?
1: If somebody hacks into that, I mean, there's some we are facing some real serious issues in terms of geopolitical positioning right now.
0: Uh, what frustrates me is I think, you know, when some things it seems where Democrats and Republicans are so on a united front when it comes to what's happening in Ukraine. But it is frustrating to see even when the governor did it uh, as far as like taking a shot at the, the president. The commander in chief. Well, that was just it. That's what
1: was so crazy about the gas tax thing the other day. Like the sponsor gets up and is basically like, we want to do this because this is the right thing. And we all don't need to politicize because of Ukraine. And then went off on a tangent politicizing and going after Biden, talking about the Keystone pipeline and and if we need to drill more. And it was just like, I was just like, man, I cannot wait until these primaries are over because this is just killing me
0: right it's I think it's okay to not be okay with the policies or to criticize that is what politics is but when we're at a time of war can't you restrain yourself in any way I mean it's just anyway well we could go on for a long time we also have to give a shout out to the mental health that was passed yeah
1: there's like a mental health parity act that came out of the house um and it was sponsored by the speaker which is like really kind of unheard of. And he actually presented the bill as well and broke down. And so clearly there was a personal story behind all of that. But you know what? At the end of the day, it is going to be a huge deal for mental
0: health services in the state. Well, I think that's just terrific. And I wish I would get even more coverage because that's when you see to the two sides, all agreeing that we need to pay more attention to mental health. That is a really great thing.
1: Listen, when I heard the Speaker of the House on Rose Scott, she was interviewing him (laughs) and she's a tough man. I if I didn't know who he was, he sounded like a Democrat. Wow. Talking about mental that one piece. Right. And he was clearly moved by this issue. And he. He is not going to like that I said that probably, but it it is what it is. I mean, it
0: is the right thing to do. It is the right policy. But isn't it, though, when something hits you personally, everything changes, just like when Liz Cheney was asked about her voting against gay rights when her sister, her own sister, is gay. And here she is on that 60 Minutes interview. Well, we can listen to it. In 2013, you came same-sex
2: marriage, while your father went the other way. And it was looked upon as courageous when he did that. How do you defend what you did? I was
0: wrong. Um, I was wrong. Uh, I love my sister very much. Uh, I uh, uh, love uh, her family
1: very much. Uh, and, uh, and, and I was wrong. It's a,
0: it's a very personal issue. Uh, and very personal for my family. I uh, believe that my dad was right. And my sister and I have had that conversation and admits I was wrong. I mean, that's when something when you're so against something and then suddenly it's in your wheelhouse and you're you're forced To take a look at somebody else's view, that's what really upsets me about all the trans, anti-trans stuff. It is such a small percentage of the population. Most of them right now... Well, it's children. It's kids.
1: It's children that you're going after and there's no... There's no reason It's for it's
0: it. And so we're going to have to keep talking about There's There are so many issues to talk about. But we need to pivot to our next guest, our 50th episode, our first and 50th same guest. Let's get to it. Our guest today was our first guest when we didn't know how our equipment works. <laughs> we were so nervous. I mean, I wasn't nervous to talk to Greg Bluestein. But I was nervous that, like, we couldn't make anything work. <laughs> but now we have everything organized. And if you don't know Greg Blueston you know he's a political reporter from the AJC. He covers the governor's office, state politics, everything Georgia politics for the AJC. And, of course, you can see him on MSNBC and NBC News. And his new book inspired by someone who told him to (laughs) wrote a book. Uh, It's called flipped how Georgia turned purple and broke the monopoly on Republican power. Greg Bluestein is with us. Can we have it on the record? Who said you should write a book?
3: You gave me awesome encouragement. You told me to write the book. You said, you said you believe there was a book there, right? And it's, it's a weird prospect for a guy like me to write a book because I write for a living, obviously, but I'm a, I'm a deadline guy. Like I, you know, if I have to wait three or four days for a story, I start getting antsy. If I have to wait a couple of weeks, I get really antsy. So to spend more than a year uh, on this project has been like the challenge of my lifetime because I was ready for this book to get out in June of last year. And here we are. But I'm glad that, you know, we spent the time on it. I'm glad you gave me the encouragement because it helped spark the idea.
0: I mean, I'm hoping I get a thank you, but I don't think I did. I didn't get my book yet.
3: Uh, you better have gotten a thank you. <laughs> 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 uh, have you. Have you seen it? I
0: haven't. I pre-ordered it. I did too. I'm waiting. So okay. So let's not. I know okay. it's it's very like me to make it about me. So let's let's at least like <laughs> texting my editor. Gotta gotta thank Mara. Okay. So w- give us some like juicy bits. Like what? Don't we know? Yeah, tell us something
3: we don't know. Greg. Yeah, Greg. I mean, so so the the most fun that I had in this book was going back because I had a front row seat to all this stuff that's happened, right? I got to cover um, not just the 2020 elections, but the last few elections in Georgia and to tell the story the right way, because I didn't want to pretend like this was some overnight success, but Democrats just kind of happened into this and it was this fluke spooky thing that just happen, happened, like all the right things came together at the last second. This was a lot of work from activists, from candidates, from politicians, from voters, right? Um, and so what the fun thing that I got to do is go back and sort of and do a lot more research, do hundreds of interviews to talk about the 2018 election, how it really set the stage for 2020. Um, and So it's kind of three sections. There's the 2018 cycle, starting with both Stacey Abrams leading the, uh, the resistance <laughs> to Donald Trump and really John Ossoff's campaign. And then we go, the second section's all about 2020 and the third section's all about the runoffs. And I really had a blast, you know, because the runoffs and the 2020 campaign were so heavy on my mind. So there's a lot of, of uh, juicy stuff in there. But I really had a blast going back to 27, 2018 races that, that back when Georgia was not nearly as covered up, right? There was, there was events, that I attended with Stacey Abrams where I was the only reporter and she would joke, Hey, I might as well just go to your office. And it was so strange back then because you knew that Georgia would be this epic election battle. You knew that in 2018 that we read the story, one of the best stories of the nation. But even in March, you know, even in April of 2018, there wasn't that, there wasn't that the coverage, there wasn't the attention um, that I thought there would be. No, not at all. Yeah. I mean, I I remember being at that
1: stuff, you know, with Stacey Abrams and like, it's just her and one other person and she's giving her speech and I'm sitting there. I mean, it was, you know, when she's on the circuit with me, I mean, you know, (laughs) something, something's not quite there yet. So you're exactly right.
3: Yeah. And so I got to go back and speak to Lieutenant, then Lieutenant Governor Casey Cagle about the famous tape, the recording. They got... That helped end his campaign. Um, I got to retell the story of how Donald Trump endorsed Brian Kemp. Um, I got to go write about Karen Handel and the time that she disappeared from the campaign trail uh, for a couple hours, even her husband didn't know where she was. Oh, I don't um, remember so that. I, what happened? No one does. That's the fun part. <laughs> she just. I, I think what I tried to do was from a, from both parties' perspective right, about what was happening on these campaign trails and, and all, you know, in, in these elections and try to give a very balanced view, right? I mean, it could have just been Abrams, Warnock, Ossoff, right? But I try to give a balanced view of, of what the Democrats did and what the Republicans were doing as well. And, you know, a key part of this is they weren't caught napping. It wasn't like they came in just all cocky thinking they win by eight points like, like they did in 2014 or 2010. Um, they knew this was going to be an epic election cycle for them as well. And despite knowing that, Democrats still overcame um, those, those long odds in the state. And there's going to be a, uh, by the time your listeners hear this, it'll probably be out in public, but an excerpt of the book is coming out that details a meeting between Governor Kemp and Senator David Perdue in, um, in December 2020 at Truist Ballpark, where they kind of came to hedge about what they would do to appease Trump. And David Perdue wanted to call a special session. Um, that's out now. He's made a big deal about Camp campaign trail, But at the time, he was a, much quieter about it. He wasn't talking publicly about that. Governor Kemp, Speaker Ralston, Lieutenant Governor Jeff Duncan, had all said, nope. It's going to be a disaster if we do that. And that was the meeting where it all kind of came to a head. And Kemp said, I'll take the bullets. We're not calling a special session. Perdue was not happy about that, but didn't have the authority to, to override Kemp. And now you're seeing that as a main part of their back and forth uh over the 2022 election. Now go
1: was, ahead.
0: I, I, okay, so uh, I'm glad you bring up the Kemp Purdue stuff because obviously we know that Kemp is uh being, you know, his competition now, which is like crazy, you know, because you would think th- I mean, do you talk about it in your book how like their buddies, I mean, Kemp really campaigned for Purdue w- when he was running for Senate and and it seems like now it's like, where, where do they go from here? I mean, I guess whoever wins, they'll each endorse each other. But man, it is getting nasty.
3: It's brutal. And it's funny because when I started writing this book, you know, it was before the runoffs. Right. So I had no idea what would happen to runoffs. And then I really started, you know, buckling down. I thought that David Perdue would probably run for Senate again. And then as I did the bulk of my, my writing, I'm kind of thinking he's, he's at least sitting out in this cycle. And by the end of, by the time I got to the epilogue and, and was writing um, that part of the book, it was looking more and more likely like he was going to challenge Kemp, but we weren't sure, right? So we couldn't be authoritative on that uh, because the book had to go to the publishers, I don't know, you know, November. Um, so it's just interesting seeing the evolution of David Perdue. And you're right, they were allies for a long time. Um, Sonny Perdue helped convince Donald Trump to endorse Brian Kemp. Um, the one thing that David Perdue, and David Perdue was involved in that too, but it, it was something that he played the bigger role, but it was David who helped convince Donald Trump to come to Macon three days before the November 2018 election and hold that big rally that attracted tens of thousands of, of Republicans um, that, you know, might have played a very, we know it played an important role. We don't know if it played the, decided, the, the decisive role, <laughs> but it played a huge role because when you have Donald Trump, you know, the most popular figure in the Republican Party at the time, coming to a very conservative area outside of Macon, um, not not Macon itself, but like an airport um, kind of an outskirts uh, that attracted so many people uh, that gave Kemp a very key boost. And David Perdue is right at the center of it. So these two men have a long history of helping each other and to see them go at war with each other right now is um, is very odd. To say the least, it's so bizarre. I am
0: more fascinated. Well, you know, I have this strange fascination with former Senator Kelly (laughs) Lefler. I know she's kind of irrelevant now, but I'm sure you have a lot of information about her in your book because it was very interesting to see how her campaign, you know, your book is so much about how she was running against Raphael Warnock and how her campaign kept shifting and shifting harder and harder to the right. So you covering her for so long, did you feel like when it got to the craziness of the end where she's like taking pictures with the KKK guy, she's with Marjorie Taylor Greene. She's like, were you like, this isn't the woman that I met in the beginning?
3: Exactly right. I mean, it was a candidate I didn't really recognize by the end. Um, because remember, when we started, I started reporting on Kelly Leffler. I'd never met her before, right? I kind of heard her name. i never met her before. Didn't know what to expect. Um, was not out in the public spotlight that much. I think the closest I'd gotten to her was on a trip with Nathan Deal to Israel for a state delegation. And Jeff Sprecker showed up. I can't remember if she even showed up for that. But he, Jeff Sprecher just kind of flew in and, you know, he can do that and flew right out and met us for one of the dinners. Um, but I didn't know her. I knew Sprecher a little bit, but I didn't really know her at all. And when we were reporting on, you know, the likely candidate, you know, I we, we knew weeks in advance that I was reporting her as the likely nominee for that Senate seat two or three weeks before she was tapped to the Senate seat. But, you know, she was pitched and framed to me as someone who would help Republicans win back the elusive, College-educated, suburban, lady, lady female vote. voters. The right? elusive. Yeah, the lady <laughs> vote. The elusive, right? The, the, something the Republicans have been talking about, winning back for a long time, um, since the days of state Senator Jim Jordan's campaign, <laughs> successful campaign for, for, for Senate, right? So um, I kind of thought she would be this candidate who would you know, be conservative, but also um, give shout-outs to the middle, right? Give shout-outs to that block of the electorate that the Republicans were struggling with. And she was never allowed to be that candidate um, because Doug Collins got in the race. And they made this strategic decision uh, the moment it seemed like it was certain that Doug Collins would get in the race to go as far right as they could and to give Doug Collins as little wiggle room uh, to go around them as they could. And so I'll never forget that her her first speech, you know, uh, upon getting the nomination was all about guns. Yep. Cultural wars and Donald Trump. Yep. And the message was basically, I'm as conservative as you get. Don't even try me. And in the middle of that speech, John Collins sends out, he had not formally gotten the race yet. So he sends out um, an, an email and a text to me just saying like, hey, by the way, <laughs> we're still thinking about it. So it forced her to become a candidate that maybe she was a lot less comfortable with, right? Um, we Look, we could tell she was uncomfortable with it just by her body language and and, and all that. She got more comfortable with that with that rhetoric as the campaign went on, it seemed. But at first it didn't seem like it was her. I mean, she's a, she's a, a you know, a well-heeled, <laughs> she lives in an affluent part of the richest part of, of, of Atlanta. Um, and she doesn't necessarily hang out with, with the far right voters that she was trying to appeal to.
1: Yeah. What was interesting to me is um, at first I was concerned, I, it, as a Democrat, right? Cause I'm like, mm-hmm. whoa, this this could be a really outside-of-the-box kind of pick. Yeah. Because when I tried to do searches on her, there was nothing on the Internet. I could find nothing. And the way she was being framed was this, you know, highly educated suburban woman, or, you know, she was going to appeal to the masses that had left the Republican Party, the the, the lady masses. And so I was, wor- I was really worried. But then, man, after I saw the first presser where – I mean, all she's talking about is 2A and um, how she supported, you know, HB 481, uh, the so-called heartbeat bill and all of this these things. And I was like, she literally has just crossed off, you know, all of the messaging or all of the issues or policies that really actually are of concern uh, to women, the women that had left. You know Republicans, and so I'm like, man, she's not she's not going to be able to do it if, if that's how they're going to run this campaign.
3: Yeah, and there's still people in the left vote camp who who to this day are furious with Doug Collins because they feel like Doug Collins never let her run the campaign they wanted her to run, and this is not how Brian Kemp's folks drew it up either, right? That was the last thing they. Um, Doug Collins was very aggressive. Like he was the he was the first person openly jockeying for that U.S. Senate appointment. Uh, that's another day that I document v- very closely in the book, because I was there with Governor Kemp, with Kelly Leffler, actually, at Truist. Uh, back then it was called Sun Trust, but there was this like sports marketing meeting of all these sports leaders and government leaders talking about um, you know new ways of investment, new new avenues of, of economic growth, e-gaming, that kind of thing. And um, it was like basically as Kelly Leffler was speaking. She was up there speaking on behalf of, of WNBA because she was a co-owner of WNBA. She was introducing a panel and I get a text saying, there's going to be huge news involving Johnny Isaacson very shortly. Watch your text. Whoa. And like, I think someone gave me a heads up five minutes before, you know, I didn't know what it was going to be. Right. I just, I was worrying. It wasn't anything worse. Right. Um, and, uh, and so I'm watching my email and I immediately like spring out a story that Johnny Isaacson was going to be stepping down, leaving open a U.S. Senate race that could decide control of the, of, of the chamber, that kind of thing. And as like that story pops out, I can just see everyone's heads go from looking at Kelly Leffler to looking at their phones, not necessarily looking at my story or anything like that, but they're all getting the same email, right? At that point, the campaign had sent the email out. And so everyone was freaking out. Um, and the governor was speaking later on at that same summit that day, and it became just a bunch of questions about who the hell is he going to pick is going to be Jeff Duncan. That was an early favorite. Um, Doug was, Congressman Collins was, was on the phone with me and I'm sure other reporters boosting his case immediately. Right. Uh, there is a behind the scenes game that, that goes on uh, very quickly, not just with, you know, with, with among politicians, but among reporters too to try to present someone as as the likely front runner for this gig. Right. And no one, no one really thought, I actually put Kelly Leffler in that initial story, but only because she happened to be in my eyeline, but no one was really thinking that she would be the pick at that moment because there were so many other candidates who who he could have picked for, um, look, Chris Carr was one of them because he was Johnny Isaacson's protege in a sense. Um, Jeff Duncan, who was at the time Governor Kemp's closest ally, there was a lot, and, and he hadn't fallen out of favor with Trump and all that world yet. So there's a lot of other candidates in the mix. And Kelly Loeffler was the one who just emerged.
1: So it's my understanding, Greg, and I don't know if this is true or not, but that really the governor's office did not get word of this. It's almost like they got word of it, you yeah. know, probably five minutes before like you did. So it really kind of came as a surprise to them as well. Is that your understanding or was that yep. just kind of? That's not
3: my understanding.
1: Man, that's crazy. Yeah, there's a lot
3: of rumors. Wow. Yeah, there's a lot of rumors that, you know, that. There were some deals struck, and, and, and the folks I've talked to have sworn up and down that they didn't get any heads up. That includes Governor Kemp, who said that he only learned it shortly before it was announced. Um, I did an open records request at the time for any emails that involve Isaacson, and there was an email that was sent to the, to the governor's staff and his higher-ups, right? That's not how the governor found out, but it was sent to the governor's you know, sort of chief uh, aides, um, shortly before the, 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 blast went out, the main blast went out saying, Hey, you know, this is, we're we're about to send this out. They kept it a very tightly controlled secret. Um, and that was because Senator Isaacson wanted it that way. He was, um, it was a very tough decision for him. This was not easy and he didn't want to look like he was involved in cutting any deals for, for a favor, because frankly, you know, if he had a favor, it probably would have been Chris Carr.
1: Yeah, no, I I mean, that had always been, you know, what people talked about, especially under Deal. I mean, it changed, obviously, when it was uh, Brian Kemp, because you have the very, you know, the different kind of, you know, these the families are allied differently. The Kemp's, the Purdue's, the Isaacson's, you know, the Deals, all of this. So as soon as Deal was out of office, then it was like, well, eh, Chris may not have that great of a shot if this happens under Kemp.
0: But what's interesting is how. All of this, everything you just talked about, Greg and you, Jen, this all set the table for flipped for your book, Um, because really it was those two Senate seats. I mean, so there was a lot riding on that pick of who was going to replace Senator Isaac Nixon, pretty much a beloved senator by both sides. Way more
1: than we could have ever known. I mean, the fact that Kelly Leffler ended up being such a train wreck, right? And that Trump got so angry at Governor Kemp because of Doug, all of that, and it had nothing to do with Democrats at the time, right? It's just right. all in Republican <laughs> land. Yeah.
3: And you're you're exactly right. And and it was this Republican and Republican warring. It was Doug Collins was very effective behind the scenes at promoting himself to Donald Trump as well, and trying to kind of paint Kemp in a corner to force him to tap Doug Collins. Kemp was always very uncomfortable with that. I go into this in great detail, but he was always very uncomfortable with that. He wanted someone who he thought would be a game changer, right? There was a couple things he he put on his list. He wanted someone different, you know, whether it be a female, someone, a person of color, someone with a completely different background. Um, And he wanted someone who could really appeal to that, that voter block we talked about earlier. And, you know, picking a a veteran congressman, uh, a white male from North Georgia from Governor Deal's backyard didn't fit that. I
0: don't know, but that may have been the better pick. Well,
1: he had just also, you know, he had been the biggest defender of Trump during, you know, all of the impeachment stuff. I uh mean, at that point, his name ID
0: I mean, he was getting basically free ads off Fox every night at that point. And what wow. he's he's kind of been MIA recently. I haven't heard. It. Listen, I he fascinates me, Doug Collins. Jen laughs at me because I uh, don't agree with any of his policies except what he does with for music and music and artist rights. He's very involved in that. But he's kind of a he's like a carnival barker, you know, he's, he's, he has some likable qualities to him, but I wonder like, would, would have that changed the trajectory, how it's like, and were there any other women who were in line potentially because like, and did the Kemp team, did they actually spend time with Kelly Leffler? Because I don't know that if they, I, I, I mean, you've spent time with her. I just don't, I'm not sure she's, she's an actual human.
3: Well, I say
0: this with peace and love, (laughs) but I, you know, I she is a
3: human, (laughs) but I'll say, I'll say, you know, I mean, she was, she, from her perspective, and if you just look at the position she was thrust into, this was not a position, of course, you know, she willingly went into it. No one's feeling sorry for her. Um, for, for becoming a U.S. senator, right? Because he, he yeah, let's be to, let's be real be clear. We
1: are not feeling sorry <laughs> yeah. for her because yeah. she got picked to be a U.S. Yeah. senator.
3: <laughs> no, I know, and, and and that's why I said the same thing. But at the same time, um, this was supposed to be a fairly smooth run-up. This was supposed to be a race where she could appeal to Trump supporters, but also appeal to the middle, and not really have to prove her bona fides over and over again. Not try to race race to the right. Not get attacked by Republicans incessantly, right? And instead it became this like all-out battle um where they they barely spent any time on Raphael Warnock, right? If there was the if there was one huge mistake that Republicans made, and we all knew it at the time. It yeah, wasn't some yes, secret yes. that Republicans were spending all their time bashing each other and none of it on bashing Raphael Warnock. They saying, Oh, by the time we get to the runoff, we'll have enough time. And then the runoff becomes this smorgasbord of spending. Where even the negative attacks on on Raphael Warnock barely got any play because there were so many of them at once, and there was so much money from the Democratic side going after the Republicans, they all kind of blended together. Um, and frankly, it's something that Republicans worry about this time around too. Even though we have a more, we don't have a special election, so it's a different dynamic. But basically, Republicans will have a lot more time to get on the same page now. Right? They won't have nine weeks; they'll have four or five months. Um, but you know, Republicans—they're not talking. At, that much. They're talking some, but they're not talking that much about Stacey Abrams. They're talking about each other for the most part up until recently. at least.
1: Yeah, you know, your comment about how folks thought, oh, well, this will be good for her. She, you know, she gets picked. It'll be easy. You know, that that was a very naive view. I mean, first of all, a U.S. Senate seat does not come up very often. Yeah. I mean, to be one of, you know, one of a hundred people in this country that have the most power, right? And and just to think that somebody can, you know, you can give it to somebody and nobody's going to, you know, challenge them. And this is just going to be kind of an easy walk in, you know, kind of walk into it thing. That That's just a yeah. very
3: naive view. Well, excuse me. I agree. Um, but look, they thought that there would be a challenger, just not a substantive one, right? Not a credible challenger. They, you know, there's always how many people in America? 21? So there's always a bunch of candidates for these special elections. Um, It just wasn't anticipated it would be someone as formidable, uh, like you said, as Doug Collins, someone who was a mainstay on Fox News, who didn't have the money that Kelly Leffler had certainly, but but had the um, had the pulpit, had 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 the name recognition among conservatives,
1: and um, had Trump had
3: that ability to kind of make news, and had Trump right. Yeah, that's the big thing. Basically, and for Kelly Leffler, her her goal in those opening months was just to keep Trump out of it, just to keep Trump neutral. That would be a win for her because the other thing she had was money. Um, and that's why they thought they also thought there wouldn't be a real big challenger because Kelly Lepore could spend uh, a fortune, a legit fortune on defending that seat in the first year and spent tens of millions of dollars doing the $30 million plus.
0: Well, and here we are. And I, I become fascinated with this part because here we, you know, why isn't she out there stumping for camp? Uh, you know, I mean, I, I think that's, you know, yeah, he she pretty much owes her run in the Senate to him so and now here we are it's like she's like it's like the ultimate like love triangle that it's like the I mean it really is and it's 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 so bizarre to me. but I
1: wonder if it's kind of like what I've heard about Purdue which is the reason he's running against Kemp is because he really believes in his head that somehow the race had to have been You know, stolen from him because otherwise he would have won. And I wonder if Leffler and her husband somehow think Kemp did not do enough in the runoff to deliver victory to her. Um, And I wonder if there's something, you know, kind of rattling around with respect to that, the same way, you know, Purdue kind of feels.
3: Yeah. And, you know, she got to become close with Purdue. Um, She obviously owes everything to Governor Kemp for putting all his capital on line and, and selecting her. There's an argument that I've heard from, from Kent folks. They don't want her to go help him because she's seen as a toxic brand right now. Right. It's a brand and they created. The I mean, the band they know, created.
0: I, well, that's the whole thing. That's again, that goes back to my fascination with her because when they did announce her, Greg, I was like, Oh, who is this woman? And I, I'm fascinated with Republican women. I mean, she lives in my district. Well, I was like, okay, she's, you know, all right, like, wow, she's a super successful woman. I want to learn more about her. And then I'm like, this is, I can't find literally one thing to connect with her. On anything, and then do I was like, like basketball? Oh, "Well, there was the WNBA stuff," and I was like, "Okay, <laughs> that's why I think she's just that was so weird to me." It was like the way she flipped on the WNBA stuff, which I'm sure you have stuff in your book about that because that whole thing
3: was that was the moment. I'm glad you mentioned that because that was that was might be the the most pivotal moment in the Senate race, uh you know, in the run up to the the November, um, because it was pivotal for her and it was pivotal pivotal. Pivotal for Rafael warlock. That was the moment. And you're, and you're talking about when when um, Kelly Leffer, who you know owned, um, was a co-owner of the WNBA franchise, the Dream in Atlanta. Um, she wrote an open letter, um, basically bashing the Black Lives Matter movement. And it was the moment where she started pulling away from Doug Collins um, in, a, in a serious way. Um, it was a moment where. Um, she had this sudden campaign trail traction. She was starting to get earned media instead of just um, just paid media, right? Um, it became, I, I broke that story. It, suddenly all these sports writers were following me. I'm like, hey, you're not going to see much about <laughs> basketball on my Twitter feed. Um, but Braves, it just became, Braves,
0: they'll get Braves. Braves you will, know? yeah. <laughs> not the Hawks
3: as much. But um, it, it became this national sports story because the WNBA was playing in a bubble. It was in the middle of a pandemic. It was a very volatile moment in sports. We're in the middle of the social justice movement, protests in the streets, all that. And here, Kelly Leffler felt like she was, you know, the players felt like she was betraying them. So she took the stand that many conservatives thought was courageous, that many Democrats and and others thought was just, you know, politically expedient and the betrayal of her own team. And that's when Senator Warnock, back then Reverend Warnock, saw an advantage, saw an opening. Yeah, and, and then they wore the he, shirts, right? The they jersey. wore the shirts, yeah. but, uh, but
0: apparently he had nothing to do with that, right? That they just went ahead and did that, or did he? What's this real story?
3: Yeah, he courted the team, and this wasn't—it wasn't like the team was automatically going to give them, um, give give him their endorsement. Like he had to work for it. Um, he he got on the phone. Well, his, his top aide got on the phone with some very senior WNBA executives, um, and she kind of sounded the the Sheikah Ruffin. She kind of uh, sounded them out, said, hey, um, you know, we, we were as horrified by Kelly Leffer's stance as anyone. What can we do um, to 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 help? And, you know, the center, the, the Reverend got on Zoom calls with players, told them about his positions on issues, answered questions. So this was a, this was an intense, this wasn't just a, like, a day after sort of response. Um, and they decided to, he didn't even have uh, merchandise yet, by the way. We we have, we have to remember, even though me and us three probably saw him as the front runner, I definitely did. Right. I, I saw him. I, I figured he was going to win the race. None of the other Democrats in the race had a campaign or much of momentum, but still he was struggling in the polls, was not getting big crowds at his events. Um, he would joke that like the local mayor, more, more people would show up to Swainsboro or wherever he was to see the <laughs> local sheriff than they would to him. Um, so he was struggling. And it was after that that he started moving away from the pack too. So this was a huge moment because when those players all wore those dark black shirts and Boat on, I bought one it made national news I mean, it made national news and it set him apart immediately. It was,
0: it was really incredible. And that, that again, and then I'm going to get off this is, is the idea that, that, that that's why I think it's, she became a different person because I don't, understand how you could be a co-owner of a WNBA team and take that position. It's just I, you know, it's like owning a cattle company and not wanting to eat hamburgers. But you, but you know what I love.
1: Thank you, thank you yeah. yeah uh, you know what I love about that story though is because so I'm watching it, you know, kind of unfold in the media, mm-hmm. right? On Twitter, whatever, reading your stories, kind of seeing the optics of it. And would have never have guessed how much actual work went in behind the scenes to Warnock courting the players. It felt very just organic, you know, organic in terms yeah. of the look of it. It did not feel like somebody was working it that hard. And so that is fascinating. And that is why everybody needs to buy your book.
0: Greg, I could talk to you all day and ask you questions. I cannot wait for that book to come in. The, you can pre order it if you're listening now. What's the actual release date?
3: March 22nd. So a couple of days from oh. we're taping this on Friday. So uh, a couple of days. Okay. Okay. And so, I've even seen it at some bookstores early. So
0: I know. I've had a little FOMO. I've seen some people tweeting about that and i'm like i ordered mine months ago
3: it's the weirdest feeling as a as a as an as a quote unquote author now i sound fancy but you know because i'm just used to being a reporter <laughs> but the, like people will dm me starting three weeks ago people would dm me um you know hey I'm, I'm at page 135 i'm out in utah i'm loving your book i'm like how did you get a copy i don't I, at that time i didn't even have a copy yeah, oh my gosh, it's bizarre because I think some places got shipments early and just started telling them.
0: Well, <laughs> and your publisher probably sends out those galleys to readers and word gets around to people. But it is exciting and it is exciting as we get into 2022. I mean, like you, Greg, are because go- 2022 is such a hot, you know, Georgia is definitely the whitest hot state for politics and you're literally like you're the
1: man i mean i ha- mean maybe the next book's gonna be called like flipping out right like who knows what's gonna happen man in 2020
3: don't want it to be called what democrats don't want it to be called flopped, right
1: <laughs> oh oh that hurts,
3: that no, hurts. no no, no I'm, you guys don't want it to be called flop but who knows um i you know it's 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 such a Crazy experience because I, when I wrote, I did not think that all these characters that I was writing about would still be in the center of everything. With the exception of Kevin Epple, who's of course still involved, but not not nearly as involved. Every other main player in this book is still front and center. You know, David Perdue, of course, um, Ossoff, Warnock. Uh, not, not Doug Adams. Collins, right? He, I mean, no, not Doug Collins, but he's not—he didn't make the cover. So, oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. So all these, all these folks who were right in the chemo all these folks who were kind of right in the middle of everything, uh, are still right in the middle of everything.
0: Well, just like you, Greg. Greg, we appreciate you so much. Congratulations on your success. It's always a pleasure. And when we have our hundredth episode, we'll have you back.
3: Oh, I better but you, be but you, back
0: But you may be too big for us by then.
3: Yeah, right. Yeah, right. Thank you for the inspiration, too. I really appreciate you nudging me. You were great because you're like, you. this really could be a book. i was like, maybe? You were like, yeah, it really could be, I swear. And a year later, it is. So thank you. We're you're so, so welcome.
0: All right. Greg, yes. you're the best. Congratulations. I can't wait to read it. Happy 50th. And uh, we'll talk to you uh, at 100. At 100 or maybe 75. Okay. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That was exciting. I learned a lot. That was fascinating
1: because, you know, we went through this in real time with Greg too, right? I mean, and even going back and listening to our podcast, like, you know, one through fifth, like in the kind of in the sequence that we did them. I mean, it really is also almost like an audio history of what was happening politically
0: in the state, but he knows all the deets, man. Well, everybody gives some information too. I mean, I, all the time, I like, for example, I was on a plane a couple of weeks ago on the way to West Palm beach to see my mom and Stacey Abrams was on my plane and I, I I, I, I kind of, I freaked out. I didn't know what to do. So I, of course I'm texting you. <laughs> I'm like, You're like, Oh my God, I think Stacey Abrams is on my flight. And, and it turns out it was her, uh, you know, she was sitting up there with her mask on. It wasn't like I could say anything to her, but, um, and of course I would give her her privacy, but I did ask the flight attendant, is that Stacey Abrams? And she's like, yes, get back to your seat. but I texted Greg right away. You know, I, I, and, and I know that I'm crazy. I'm sure I can only imagine like the, the amount of DMS that he gets. My
1: guess is he already had like two or three people you know, text and pictures of her sitting there in the plane.
0: Well, and he confirmed it. Yes, it was a Democratic preemptive Democratic Governors Association uh, event that she was going through. And I like did my detective work because I saw Kathleen Hochul from New York was going to be there. And so I was like, oh, that must be where she was going. But anyway, everybody wants to give Greg the intel, man. He's got it all. He's got all the tea. Well, because he's so nice. You know, and he really
1: has strong relationships with people across party lines at all levels of government, you know, um, and he does a good job. And so it's one of those things where he's always I-, I think he's always pretty fair. You know, sometimes you don't get the coverage you want, but that doesn't mean that you're not being treated fairly in the press, I have to say.
0: OK, so do you have a favorite moment for the past 50 episodes? anything stand out? So probably what a least favorite in the sense of
1: when now looking back, I'm like, what were we thinking when we had Yang on the
0: program? I knew you were going to say oh that. Oh my gosh. I just, I'm like cringing. Now. I know. And we thought that was such a big get. Oh I worked so hard to get him on because like that's my job as I'm a talent booker and I was like we were like so geeked out. Oh, you were we so-
1: got we've got a presidential candidate. Da-dun. I mean oh. he was
0: nice. He was,
1: but then how he went on and ran for the mayor of New York a City and was just a train wreck. I was just like <laughs> I yeah, yeah. The Yang Fiasco, we'll call it the Yang event.
0: Uh, yeah, what about I, you? Um, you know I, I, this one may rub you the wrong way, but I really like talking to Brian Robinson. Oh, I know you do. <laughs> I know you do uh Brian Robinson is a Republican strategist, and he works
1: for my opponent chris Carr I, I, he,
0: and so and Brian
1: and uh, I have always been friendly, and I've always respected him, but we've kind of had to you know not be so friendly while we're kind of Uh,
0: yes so campaign mode talking to him though uh, i remember you know and this is i'm I'm like going back to the the runoffs and i remember we spoke to him right before the runoffs and um and we asked him what his predictions
1: were and stuff
0: and i believe that he told us i think this was off the record he didn't tell us on the podcast he was like oh i think it's going blue i think it uh, you know well he would always talk
1: about the suburban women yeah, he, he's one of the guys who's always like, you can't lose the college educated suburban women. You got to do something. To get them back in.
0: But we've had so many amazing guests like Kim Jackson, loved her. Oh, lo- yeah. Love talking to B Wynn. Love talking to, I mean, Carla Jacobs. We love oh talking gosh, to her. She was one of the first people we talked to uh, about the Kavanaugh stuff, remember? Okay, that was so great. Um, I mean, there's just been so many great guests. It's just been, so now we have goals for the next fifty, you know who my goals are.
1: Okay, who who who's your who's your if you could have anybody on?
0: If I could have be? anybody on? Except for Stacey Abrams. <laughs> How about that? <laughs> well she's on Star Trek right now. Well Which right? by the way, can I just say I was super into it. I I, I think it's awesome. I, I think it's great.
2: Madam President Madam President, welcome. I am so pleased that you've come We are eager to begin diplomatic discussions. Nothing to discuss. United Earth is ready right now to rejoin the Federation. And nothing could make me happier than to say those words. Thank you. Thank you all. Captain, may I have a word? Of course.
1: Look, she (laughs) is obviously a Trekkie. I'm sure that when they gave her that opportunity, she was like, yes. And thank you.
0: Do you know, so my mother is, uh, she's 83. She is the number one Star Trek fan. She has Star Trek memorabilia all over her home. She can literally- That's hilarious. She can literally tell you every fact about Star Trek there is. I remember growing up watching Star Trek with her. And you know, Star Trek was a really, really uh, innovative show for its time. I mean, really groundbreaking. They did so many things with with different characters. I think, like, the first black lead actress that they had on there. I mean, they were, there was a lot of, like, incredible, like, social issues that they were addressing on Star Trek. And, like, you know, my mom was, it, this was, like, the free-to-be-you-and-me generation. Right. So, like, I don't know. I, I thought it was really cool. Um, and my mom has watched all the versions of Star Trek. You, Nate, Deep Space, you know, you name it. She she's in it. So for the Trekkies, I mean, this is, you know, no, Brian Kemp's got to get on Yellowstone. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. so my dream guest. (sighs) I don't know. I mean, I want to talk to I want to talk to Senator Ossoff.
1: Well, he would be great. I mean, maybe he'll talk to us. I mean, I want to
0: talk to Tish James. She would be cool. I want to talk to um, I know who your dream. I think I can guess who your dream guest would be. Who? Amy Klobuchar. No. No. Come on. No. No. Okay. Who is it?
1: I don't know. I don't know who I would be really interested in talking to. I mean, because I like talking to a bunch of different people for different reasons. I mean, I love it when Anthony Michael comes on, right? Oh, he's, he's, he's like kind of the legal analysis is so great. Um, he's been so awesome. We love him so much. I I'd love it when Brian would come on and give us kind of the Republican consultant take. I love it when, you know, we have journalists on like um, like Greg, and, and they give us a completely different take. A Charles
0: Bethay was one oh, of our we early have, guests. Yeah, we need to have Charles I on. mean, Charles Bethay, what he's doing right now, like with this whole like Mark Meadows, like voter fraud stuff. Well, and
1: let's be clear that the attorney general of North Carolina, a Democrat, by the way, has opened up or has referred this to be investigated.
0: It's my In favorite North Carolina. story. It's my favorite story. See what story. a democratic AG can do? See that? Okay. Who's your dream guest? You, I mean, you really haven't you just you you've stalled. You did a lawyerly stalling tactic there. You didn't pick one person. I mean, if if, if it could be like the end all be all. I'm not sure. I mean, I
1: really—it's like it can be different people at different times in terms of what I'm thinking
0: about. Right? You know, maybe I'll give it a little wishy-washy. But I know it's wishy-washy. I'm kind of (laughs) wishy-washy. I mean, you know. Well, this has just been so. I—I mean, fifty. it's 50. Our podcast can now join the AARP. Yeah, we're, we're there too, babe. <laughs> That's great. Well, thank you. And here's if, if we were drinking alcohol, we'd be toasting to 50 more until you're the Attorney General of Georgia. Will you still be able to do this?
1: Maybe. I mean, maybe we could, you know, make it more
0: about like law. I'm not sure, but we'll see. <laughs> okay. We'll see. Thanks, Christina Larringer, for uh, always producing, doing such a great job at this. And we will talk to you. Uh, when we're 51.